church. And uh, the points that we saw was this. Number one, God often gives insight and discernment to his men uh, for his people. And then I just want to remind you of that. Um, God has given us his word. God has also given us his spirit. And so we know there's no greater significance that any man that God calls and installs as pastors and elders and leaders can add to what God has given. Um, it's, again, there's, there's no uh, more important person uh, in the church. In other words, the, the pastor, the elders, the leaders of the church are not uh, more important. Um, I want to remind you that it's the same blood that was shed for every single one of us. Uh, it is the same grace that's necessary for every single person to be saved. Um, it's the, again, it's the same salvation. Uh, we also don't need a mediator uh, between us and God other than what God has already provided in the man Jesus Christ. Um, again, but as I've said this, there has been an absolute forsaking uh, of seeking and listening to the men that God has put in place, be it the pastor, or elders, leaders that God has called and installed. And for many reasons, I believe this is so. Last week I said this specifically, uh, there's so many mishandled and self-driven examples in the past that we have, and even in the present, that fewer people are prone to turn to uh, those spiritual leaders, pastors, elders, spiritual leaders in the church, than they were at, at previous times. And, and I, I want to encourage you again, don't be foolish to miss the reality that from Abraham to Moses, to the prophets, to the disciples and the apostles, to pastors, evangelists, teachers, that God often gives, and sometimes in additions to, sometimes in contrast to, and sometimes in confirmation and admonition of the insight and discernment that he gives to these men for the church. And so again, it's so vital that we see this as God set up um, and, and not not man's. Man messes it up, God set it up, and uh, again, this is what we were talking about. The second point we saw is this, God always gives what's needed in the midst of the storm. If you've been with us, you know what the story's been. If you haven't been with us, here's what's been going on. The Apostle Paul has appealed to Caesar. Uh, he's stood before a couple different governors. He's also given his testimony in front of uh, King Herod Agrippa, and now he is on his way to Rome. Uh, because they said, you know, this guy would have been freed had he not appealed to Caesar, but he gets shipped on, on his way to Rome. And on this journey, Paul tries to advise the uh, centurion who's in charge of the whole, tri whole trip. Uh, by the way, we're going to see this morning, there's hundreds of people on this ship. There's not just a few people. There's hundreds of people on this ship. And so the centurion is in charge of this trip, and Paul tries to advise him, hey, we, we should do this and not do that. Of course, we talked about how the centurion, it made logical sense, and it made, I mean, if I'm in the centurion's uh, position, I would be tempted to do the same exact thing, even having a relationship with the Lord. You're listening to the preacher. The preacher is not a sailor. He's not a meteorologist. He's a preacher. He's an apostle who's been called and installed by God. And here you have the owner of the ship, and you have the guy who's driving the ship, knowing what he's doing. Right? We have some skilled uh, tradesmen in, in, our, in our church. I mean, we have electricians, we have carpenters, we have plumbers, we have, you know, people who are computer programmers. Um, I mean, all kinds of different skills and, and trades. And I'm, and I'm thinking, 
Man, there are people, if I need something, I promise you, I'm turning to those people. That's who I'm going to turn to. And uh, you guys would be wise to turn to them instead of me if you're needing something like electricity, plumbing, you know, water well, whatever. There's all kinds of people in this church and skilled. So again, put yourself in that situation. Here they are on this ship, and the centurion has to make a call. Do I listen to Paul, this preacher, who's telling us we should do this because God told him? Or do I listen to the experts, the guy who, who, who knows his own ship, the guy who has sailed on his own ship probably hundreds if not thousands of times, and the guy who drives the ship? These guys know these waters. These guys know what it is to sail. What are we going to listen to? So we know that he listens to the experienced people and not the preacher. And what ends up happening is that the, the voyage becomes dangerous. It becomes a, a very dangerous situation. Everybody's thinking that they're going to die because that's how bad the storm is. Paul stands up and gives the encouragement to take courage. And in this I told you so moment that Paul had, uh, because he did, he said, you should have listened to me, he said. And this reiterated the first point. Paul gives this encouragement to put their confidence in the Lord because God had shown him that they're all going to be spared um, in this process. But again, Paul was no better than Luke. We know Luke was writing all this, documenting all this down. Paul was no better than Aristarchus or any other man according to the flesh. But he was, however, once again, the one that God had called for the purpose for which God had chosen. And today, we are in a desperate need for the people of God to listen to the Word of God. We are in a place that we as the people of God should be seeking God's Word more now than ever, both in our private study and in the public preaching of God's Word. We should be more engaged now as we get closer to the return of the Lord, as we see the times, literally, that have been foretold of in Scripture being played out before us. You and I should be seeking God's Word now more than ever, in tune now more than ever, because there is a battle. There is a vile spiritual battle raging in our midst. If you think it's simply economic, well, we're just dealing with some economic struggles, and that's because of the, the administration or because of the government or because of whatever. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. If you think it's just a political issue, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. If you think it's simply a biological issues that are up for the, in, in the battle, or if you think it's you know, health issues, gender issues, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Even if you think it's simply a battle of comfort versus discomfort. Man, we, we used to be able to pay for gas like this. We used to be able to afford this. Man, we were listening to something the other day, and, 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 a, and a lady was given the, uh, the layout of what it was for her to do some prepared, uh, prepackaged meals for her and her family for, for a month. And then she compared it to what the lady who was basically giving her the advice uh, was back in, I think, 2018, and it had doubled she said. And uh, if you think that it's simply a matter of, again, economic struggles, comfort versus discomfort, then I want to challenge you this morning. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Because I believe there's the apathy and there's this stupor, therefore, the spiritual slumber towards the spiritual that the church and her mission is experiencing. And I believe it only can be contributed to this intoxication of the people of God 
on the things of the world for so long. I believe that we have become drunk with the pleasures of this world. That when we see the battles before us, when we hear what's going on, our immediate reaction is in the flesh, not in the spirit. We, we want to we wanna think that, that man, it's, 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 it's this, and if we'll do this, then this will change in America, and this will be better for us. Well, well let me ask us a question. How has that worked out for us so far? Where are we at today? It's not getting any better. And I believe it's because the church has bought the lie that the enemy has sold, that look, y'all are fine, you're going to heaven. What you need to be focused on is who's in that White House, who's in that Congress, and who, who, who's doing this and who's doing that, what the cost of this is and how you can change this because how are you going to live and afford to, to, to live if you don't have this? And what about those jobs and what about this? And, and all the media says this and social media is saying that and there's lies and there's this and this. And we get so wrapped up and intoxicated on the world. And I believe that we as the people of God have been blinded and again drunk. pleasure that this temporal realm offers to us, so much so that we now stand or, or sit frustrated at what we're facing. And I, I think that there's a lot of Christians, I think probably most of us in here, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, we would say, I'm frustrated at where we are as a culture in our, in our, in our nation. I believe that because we've been so blinded, a lot of our hope lies in what's going to happen in this next election or the next election. So we find ourselves in a real predicament similar to, not exactly similar to, but just a, a predicament as Christians and as people on this earth as what we're studying. They were in a real predicament. And I believe how we as the church, I want you to hear that again. I don't, I don't know if you're hearing it, he that hath ears to hear. I believe that we as the church, how we respond will determine what happens ahead. And I'm not just talking about Trinity Baptist Temple, but I am talking about Trinity Baptist Temple. I believe the people of God, the church on this earth, how we respond is going to determine what happens ahead. And our study, again, this, this voyage to Rome that they're on, uh, is in perils at the sea, right? They are, they are struggling. They're wondering if they're going to live. It's only because God has shown up and given this man of God, the, the Apostle Paul, this insight that they are going to be spared, that there's any hope at all. Again, that's the courage that he gave them. That's the encouragement that he was trying to instill in them. They've tossed everything. They've jettisoned stuff overboard. They just held on to the very essentials that they had to. And they're just hoping that they're going to make it. At this point, they've decided, okay, we're going to listen to Paul, and then we're going to see what happens next. Verse 27 is where we pick up. It says, but when the 14th night came, and I don't know about you, but um, we've been on cruises before, and uh, again, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but if you've been on a cruise, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you don't. But there have been, I think, I, I think I've been on two, maybe three. And there's each, each time that we go on a cruise, there's usually a night, sometimes two, that the waters seem to be a little more rough, and you can notice it, right? You're walking, like, I remember uh, we used to take the, the, the uh, dizziness pills or whatever it's, whatever it's called. What's that call, stuff called? Motion sickness, yeah. 
And uh, there are times that it feels like, oh, I'm not feeling a thing. But man, there have been times when those waters were rough and walking down those halls to your room that it feels like you're going, <laughs> you know, all, all the way down those hallways. And it's like, and then by the time that you get off the ship at the end of the week, you're like, you're, you're still feeling like you're walking like, you know, like weird on, on the ground. You got sea legs. And uh, it, just, it just feels weird. Um, that's just a, a night or two of rough waters and then just being on the, the sea for four nights or whatever. These people were going through this storm for 14 nights, a raging storm. It hadn't let up. There's no indication that this storm had let up for two weeks. Again, just a, a, a week or so ago, whatever it was, a couple weeks ago, we had a, a flood here. We had a storm here that was crazy. And we were trying to drive in that storm, and it was madness. I, I can't imagine there being this hurricane-like, which that's the kind of storm it was, a hurricane-like storm, and being on the sea with this hurricane-like storm for one night, let alone 14 nights. So they were in this storm for 14 nights, and as they were being driven about in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors began to surmise that they were approaching some land. Again, they were... They were being tossed about. They didn't really know what direction they were going. They didn't really realize where they, understand where they were. But as they got closer to what seemed like some land, they took some soundings and they found it to be 20 fathoms. And then a little bit later, a little bit farther on the journey, they took another sounding and it found to be 15 fathoms. So Luke documents that they were afraid that they might run aground somewhere on the rocks. They cast out four anchors from the stern, the back of the ship, and they wished for daybreak. But as the sailors were trying to escape from the ship and had let down the ship's boat, again, that was that rescue boat, into the sea, and on the pretense of intending to lay out anchors from the bow in the front, Paul said to the centurion and to the sailors, no, 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 unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. Again, we heard what God said. We, we, we got to be in this. We're in this together. Everyone who's in this ship is going to be spared so if you guys go to get in that rescue boat and you start doing other things, there's no guarantee that if you're not in the ship that you're going to be rescued, you're going to be saved. The soldiers cut away the ropes from that rescue boat, and they were all in. They let this, the rescue boat go. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine, like, this is our, you know, the, the ship, the huge ship has been tossed about. Here's our kind of last hope. Uh, you know, this is what we might have to get into to save ourselves. And on the preacher's words, they cut away the rope, the, 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 the rescue boat, and it's gone. So again, they feel like they're approaching this land. They begin to take a rope, and with a weight attached to the end of the rope, as they think that they're getting close to land, they drop it to the bottom of the seafloor, and they take a measurement. And the first measurement they find is 20 fathoms, which is about 120 feet. So they realize, okay, so the, the sea bottom is about 120 feet. They go a little bit further. They drop that same rope with a weight attached to the end of it, and it's about 15 fathoms, which is about 90 feet. And this is confirming to them that they are actually approaching land, right? 120 feet, a little bit longer, 90 feet. The seafloor is getting a little shorter. That's exactly what they're, 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 they're thinking there. So they start taking matters in their own hands which is something logical, right? This is logical for sailors to do. It's logical for lost people to do, to, to say, look, this is where we're supposed to be approaching land. We need to get rid of the rescue boat. We need to set down some anchors, and we can take this rescue boat without this big, huge ship bottom, 
and make it to land and take everybody safely to shore. Notice, though, it's Luke documenting and not trying to take control himself. He's watching these guys do this and writing it down. Luke didn't say, I, I had to pause my, my writing for a second and go help them. He said, they did this. We don't have any indication that Aristarchus and, is doing anything else. Paul wasn't doing anything to help the sailors. As a matter of fact, he warned them from doing what they were doing because of what God had said. And so what's the big deal, right? These, these guys, these sailors, these, these people that are on this, this ship controlling this thing, the, the chances that they were lost is really high based off of the information that we have. We understand that Luke and Aristarchus and, 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 Luke, and Paul, they were followers of Jesus Christ, and so their reaction seemed to be a little bit different in this moment. Oh, rescue is close at hand. Land is near. Let's do what we can do now. Let's, do, let's take the matter into our own hands. While Paul was trusting in the Lord, and it appears that Luke and Aristarchus was too. And so it gives us our point this morning, and it's this. The church's response to the battle should look different than everyone else's. The church's response to the battle should look different than everyone else's. Right? There's, no, there's no doubt that you know, we've gone through different things as a nation, uh, as a people. Uh, the battles that we have faced in the last few years, however long you want to call it, we, we have faced battles. We're facing a battle right now. The battle, the spiritual, the vile spiritual battle that, that's raging all a, a, around us is evident. And, and to, to see how people are handling the battles is very indicative of where our confidence is. See, the church has always had a different response than the lost because our faith lies somewhere else than the lost. Our faith is in Christ. Why wasn't Paul saying... Okay, okay, well, you guys are sailors. What do we do? What do you, well, I, I can help. I, you know, I, I can, what do you want me to swim out there and do this? Paul wasn't doing that. Paul said, wait, wait, wait. God has said this. We need to stay here. We need to trust what God has said. That's what the, the apostle was doing. Luke and Aristarchus were doing the same thing, trusting in what God had said and not trying to take it in their own hands. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, now, Paul, now I, Paul, Myself urge you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent. And the reason why that was the case is what do you think was going on with the Corinthian believers? When Paul was there, they were putting their good face on, right? We're good Christians. We're amazing people. We're doing this. And then he would get letters. He would get word back after he would write to them that there were divisions and there was factions and there was problems and there was people that were preferring other people because they had money. There were all kinds of issues. And so Paul would have to write back to them with boldness and sternness and say, stop doing this. You need to address this. You need to stop doing that. Paul would write back. He's like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I'm meek and, 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 and I don't have to do these things. I don't have to say these things because this is the way you're being. When I am absent, this is what's happening. So he says, I ask that when I'm present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. Let me give you a little bit of history here. 
There were people that, and I've mentioned this already, there were people that were there that were accusing the Apostle Paul and his team for doing things uh, in the ministry for their own benefit, for their own profit. As a matter of fact, that's why he told the Corinthian church, I'm not taking a dime from y'all. Because there's so many people accusing of this, we determined to make, our, we provide for our own selves. Even though there were other churches that were giving to them, he said, we're not going to do this for you because this is the accusations that's being thrown at us. Some regard us as if we're walking according to flesh. So, but though we walk in the flesh, though we are in these fleshly bodies, says we're not, we do not war according to the flesh. We're not battling with the same resources even though we're in these fleshly bodies. And he says this, because the we weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. And the, this is a good illustration that Paul would use because this would be something that the Corinthian church would understand as a, as, as a fortress there in that, that town. They would understand that this was a, an imagery he was, he was giving to them that a fortress stood for strength, it stood for power, it stood for protection, it stood for victory. He says the, the, our, our, the weapons of our warfare are, are divinely powerful for the destruction of these powerful things, these safe things, the, these fortresses that seem impenetrable. We're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Again, what, what, was the, what was at stake here in this moment for Paul and the missionary team was are we going to trust God, what God has said? God promised us that if we would listen to him and we would stay in the ship and we would, we would, we would follow him and trust him, that we would all be saved. And now in this moment, we're so close to what seems like safety. It, we're, we're getting closer to land. It's maybe the end of the storm. 14 nights, we're weary, we're tired, we're running out of food. Like, what are we going to do? Well, all the sailors and all the experienced people, what are they doing? Well, they're grabbing ropes and they're grabbing the rescue boat and they're, they're letting down anchors and they're doing everything that seems logical to do in this moment. And there's no confidence in God. There's no confidence in what God has already said and promised. So the temptation and the tendency for Paul and, and the, the, the rest of the team would be, all right, well, let's do what they're doing. Let's do what they're doing. Again, our natural response, every single one of us, is fleshly. Because we all live in these fleshly bodies. And so as I've even preached before, we've done, gone through it on Sunday nights before, there's sometimes we go through trials and, and, and tribulations and struggles and storms and, and tests. And sometimes we are, instead of going to, we just say, you know, instead of taking it to the Lord in prayer, sometimes what we try to do is try to mentally figure it out first. And if I've got to wrap my brain around this and I can figure this out and I can kind of see a logical path forward through this and what I'm supposed to be doing, um, then I'll be at ease and then I'll go to God and pray. Then I'll ask God, okay, God, help me. I think this is what I'm supposed to be doing. No, we should go to God first. We should trust in God first. We should rest in his promises and his word and be obedient to his word first. But again, because we're in these fleshly bodies, it's our temptation and our natural response to do it opposite. But as Christians, we've been gifted by God's grace, not only the ability but the resources to have supernatural responses in the midst of great struggle. 
I mean, the people of God throughout all, all ages have done some amazing, it's, the, it's God working through them, but they've had some supernatural responses. I mentioned before the Fox's Book of Martyrs. And man, I, if you've not got a copy of that, or if you can't, I, 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 we can get you one. But uh, I encourage you to read it, because there are some super, super inspiring stories in there. Some responses, some people who were literally tied to the stake. Literally being set on fire and burning. And some of them singing praises to the Lord. Some of them praying for their, exactly what, what uh, we, we saw with Stephen, what, what Jesus said, Father forgive them, they know not what they do. S- some saints throughout all of ages have, have done that. And, and, and again, even today, there are those who are, who are uh, at the edge of the sword and will not deny the Lord but sing his praise even as their life is being taken from them. We've been given not only the ability, but these resources to have supernatural responses in the battles, in the struggles. Most of us struggle with trying to face the battles in our lives, and whether they're personal, political, or whatever, in the natural. Again, I'm putting myself in there, because when I see what's going on in our nation, and I see the people and the players involved in it, and I see what what, what the news is saying, and I see all of this stuff going on, I have a natural feeling and an inclination. It, it, It very clearly looks to me on the surface to be this and that. And I know that is what is. I'm not, I'm not pretending that it's not. While God has given us the supernatural abilities to battle in this temporal realm, he's also equipped us and entrusted us with both supernatural or spiritual and the natural and fleshly resources. In other words, just because we have these spiritual weapons, just because we have spiritual weapons like the Word of God and, and, and prayer and faith and, and joy and all the fruits of the Spirit, we have all these supernatural resources, these weapons at our disposal, just because we have that. And that's the power, and honestly, that's the progress. That's where it's going to be made is the implementation, the employment of these spiritual resources He's obviously given us a responsibility on top of that in the natural realm, right? And let me, let me paint it like this. Whenever we go through struggles, whenever we go through a, a financial struggle and things maybe get tighter um, or, or maybe we're going through a, a health thing or, or whatever the case may be, the only thing we do is not just, oh, okay, I'm going through a struggle right now. We're going through this, this, this tangible, this real struggle right now. The only thing I'm going to do right now is I'm going to shut myself away in my prayer closet and pray all the time. Now, that's an awesome thing to do, and we should be praying all the time. Pray with, We're going to see that in a second. Pray without ceasing. We should be always in prayer. We should take it to the Lord in prayer first. All those things. But to say, I'm not going to do anything different. Prices have gone here. My money has stayed here, but I'm just going to pray about it. We've got to say, okay, well, we've got to cut. We've got to actually do some things. We should pray about it first. God, give us wisdom. God, help us have better stewardship. Help us to, help us to understand and, 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 uh, and see clearly what you want us to do and what you want us to not, where we should cut back. God, give us your wisdom. We're relying on your resources. Help us, Lord. 
and then make those tangible decisions. That's, that's what I'm talking about. We're to steward and to do as we can for the kingdom of God. There's, there's no question about it. Walking in the Spirit, what does that mean? It means being under the leadership, being in step with, aligning our lives to what Romans chapter 12 verse 2 tells us to do. It, it's it's uh, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is spiritual service of worship. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what, is, what the will of God is, that, what, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So we are to walk in step with the Spirit, aligning our lives with that, with the Word of God, obeying the Word of God out of sincere obedience. That means, what does it mean? If we're going to walk in the Spirit, if we're going to fulfill the will of God, if we're going to be those living sacrifices, if we're going to use all the spiritual resources first and do what we have been entrusted to do in this fleshly, temporal realm, it means we do what God says we are to do. That's what was at stake here. That's what was going on. God didn't say, when you get close to land, then you guys take over and I'll tell you what to do next. God could do that, and he's done that in different, in different other uh, accounts. He didn't say that. He said, stay in the ship, and you will be saved. What Paul was doing was using the resources in this moment that God had given him. And namely, what was leading the way is he was walking in the Spirit. He was doing what God's God word says to do. And what does that do? Why is that so important for us to say, you know what? Here's how I'm feeling in this moment. Here's how I'm feeling in this trial. Here's what my mind and what logic and what the world and what the news and what this person and that person and what these experts are saying. These sailors are telling us to do this and the sailors are doing this. This is what makes sense to me. What does it mean to to walk in the flesh? Even when everybody's doing that, it means to do what God says to do. And what does that do? It removes our flesh from getting in the way and it allows the spirit to work and why what is that what's what's the big deal about that it means that god almighty can do what only he can do when we get out of the way god was going to deliver them he promised that paul had to stand on that paul had to take the 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 natural tendency that most of us men have to say, you know what, here's an issue, here's my, here's my resolution, I can fix it, right? Because a lot of times that's the way we're wired as men. There's a problem, there's an issue. Hey, how do we get out of this? Oh, we're closer? Oh, we can do this, we got a bunch of men with us, let's get this. Hey, get that boat down. Some of us can swim the rest of the way, right? That's, that's the way that, that, that we're wired. Paul had to resist that temptation of taking it into his own hands, even as an apostle, and had to stand on what God had promised him. And keep encouraging other people. Stand on what God has said. Turn to what God has said. Rely on that. In our story, again, they cast out the anchors from the rear of the ship. Why did they do that? It was a wise thing, but why did they do that? Because they knew that the the, the way they were trekking was toward land. They threw the anchors out the back, and the wind was blowing them towards the land. That means that the ship would stay facing that land. And they would know that that's the direction they would need to go even if they couldn't see. Again, they let down that rescue boat. They were going to try to give it a go and get to land as soon as possible. Again, Paul 
warned them based on what God had shown him and told him that unless they stayed in the ship, they weren't going to survive. You, you saw it. They cut, they cut the ropes off at, his, at this warning. And in doing so, these lost people were influenced by the faith of the people of God. In that moment, these lost people had to entrust their lives to the God that Paul had placed his faith in. Paul's faith in what God had said and Paul in acting, doing what God had said, had an influence on the lost. We know Paul had completely surrendered his life to Christ. We know that he was a vessel willing to do whatever he was called to do, no matter where it took him or what it, what it cost him. And in this storm, in this trial, in this battle, he had things that he had to do. One of those things was he had to speak what God had showed him. He had to warn them. He had to share God's word. And his faith had to be seen. These sailors could have rejected what God had warned through his messenger. At one, the first time they did. But had they rejected it at this moment and said, you know what? We are not going to follow this, this guy because we've seen what he's done, right? He said that he trusts in God, and he said this is what God said, but he's out here trying to help us do this, something contrary to what God had said. What do you think those sailors would have done at the, if that was the case? What do you think the sailors would have done had Paul not actually put into action, not actually lived out what he said he, he believed? What do, you, what do you think that even though Paul might have, have said all the right things and this is what God has said and he is real and he's, he's, the, he's the God that can calm the storms. He walked on this earth. He walked on these seas. He can, he can keep us safe. We have to listen to what God says. We have to stay in this boat. And in the moment of, of what seemed like, oh, we're, we're so close, Paul did what they did instead of standing on what God said. And letting his faith be seen. What do you think those sailors would have done? Do you think they would have cut the ropes of that safety boat away? I don't think so. I think they would have said, you're saying one thing, but you're not living it out. It doesn't seem to be real. And they're good and flowery words. It's a, it's a nice thought to have a, a faith in a higher power and someone who's bigger than us in the control of the cosmos. It's, it's, it's a good idea. But it doesn't appear that it's more than words to you. Much like our situation today. I think there's a lot of lost people that are watching Christians. And man, we can put social media posts out there. And we can say certain things and have all the Christianese. We can come to church. But if they don't see real faith, and hear, hear this, especially real faith in the midst of the storm, it's nothing more than words. That's good for you, but not for me. I got my own security. <laughs> I've got my retirement, I've got my health care, I've got my, my friends, my family, I've got my house, my stuff, 
I've got my insurance. I, I'm, I'm good. You have your God. That's fine. That's what's going to happen. And that's what is, what ha- is happening. The sad reality in our day and time in this battle that we're in right now is that many may be perishing for the silence of, of the people of God with the word of God. Right? Paul could have said, you know, hey, God s- s- showed me and, and, and maybe he had a conversation with one person and that person didn't listen and then he gave up. Or maybe he was afraid of what the centurion might say. Or maybe he was afraid of what all of these hundreds of people might, might do to him. Maybe he, he would have been afraid. We, we know that Paul wasn't. But, but had Paul stayed silent, the whole ship would have perished. What about the inactivity in prayer life? How many times do we say we're going to pray about something and actually not pray about it? How many times do we think, I should pray about this, and we actually don't ever pray about it? The inactivity in our prayer life is loud. But not just the inactivity, not just maybe the silence, but I believe also the people of God's infatuation with sport, with entertainment, with stuff, with busyness, over-realizing. There's nothing wrong with enjoying sport or entertainment or having stuff. I mean, the, the Bible is, gives, us, gives us guidelines on that. But what I'm saying is the infatuation of these things, over-realizing the seriousness of the battle that we're in, and in that realization, elevating the Lord and His Word, His will, His church, His mission, above all. That's what's detrimental to our battle now. In Corinthians, these verses are so helpful to us today. You see, Paul's opponents at Corinth, again, as I said, had wrongly accused him of walking in the flesh in this moral sense. Playing off that, Paul affirmed that he did absolutely walk in the flesh in a physical sense. He was in a physical body. Though possessing the power and authority of an apostle of Jesus Christ, he was a real human being. So to war according to the flesh, although a a, a man, Paul didn't fight the spiritual battle for men's souls using human ingenuity, and neither should we. You know lost people in your life. You, have, you, you see them, even if you don't necessarily know them all. There are people that are seeing if what you say you believe, you actually believe. You can try to reason with someone. But the only thing that can change a heart, can change a soul, can change a circumstance, is the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is the true spiritual warfare that we're in. Believers are not instructed in the New Testament to assault demons or Satan or to bind him. But we're commanded to assault error with truth, with disobedience, with obedience. That's our battle. There in that same verse in Corinthians, and I'm almost done, 
Verse 5, he mentions speculations or arguments. These thoughts, these ideas, these reasonings and philosophies, false religions, they were the ideological forts in which men were barricading themselves and still barricade themselves today against God and the gospel. That's what the battle is, obviously, in our world today. Why are so many people turning to the Lord? We've experienced some severely desperate times in our world, and especially the last few years, man, we have experienced some weird times. Why aren't, like, like at 9-11, you remember 9-11? There were so many people coming to church and, 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 and wanting to turn to God, and pe- uh, Congress people on the steps, God, God bless America. There was such a, uh, there was such a different response even then, than what we've seen in the last few years. It seems like the last few years is just tearing people apart. People entrusting themselves to these ideological forts, barricading themselves. And what's sad is it appeared that the church did that as well. We're seeing it in real time. So what happens in all of this for Paul? He says he wasn't going to stand idly by while the enemies of the faith assaulted the church that was under his care. He was ready to purge them out as soon as the Corinthian church was complete in its obedience. The spiritual battle that the people of God are in today is the same spiritual battle. I want you to hear this. The battlefield, the tactics, the strategy, the employment of resources that the enemy uses, that shifts and it changes as time and technology changes. But it's the same spiritual battle. You, you know what he used in the garden? You know, you know what resources he used in the garden? He used fruit and deception. An attack on God's word and God's design. Did you hear what it said? An attack on God's word in God's design. We could go to the kings that eventually would find themselves being led into captivity. Deals struck with foreign kings, disregarding the word of God, embracing foreign gods and and, and idolatry, creating a separate, separate yet similar system of worship of God. All of it attacks on God's word and design. And you know what is still in the battlefield today? You know what still the battle is today? Attacks on God's word and God's design, whether it's an attack on gender and what God has said and God has created and what God has blessed, or whether it's deception from a national leadership, whatever it is, we better wake up fast, church. We better have ears to hear. And I mean, get serious about fighting this war the way that God has equipped us to fight it daily. There's no rest. Ephesians 6 is one of those verses, and we'll close. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God. Not, it doesn't say periodically. This is what we should do every day so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, in light of this fact, Take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day. And having done all, having done everything to stand firm, stand therefore, having having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel 
of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and taking the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit, which is the word of God. And with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. I'm not going to read the other verses. I want to encourage you to read them. 2 Timothy is very important for you to read. But let's remember that the battle is real. And Satan is not done, and I don't believe God has done either. Just this past week, two kids were killed in a front yard just down the street. Brother Jeffrey recently shared a testimony of a kid who had to transfer out of a class because of a sinful agenda of a teacher. Many of our students are facing a daily assault. On top of the normal struggles in social and sexual areas of personal and personality development, of peer pressure that every teenager goes through and every kid goes through, the enemy at his disposal, as I said, the, the, the battle's still the same, the, tech, the tactics and resources and technology all changes. Besides all of this, the enemy's using media and he's using social media and as many people as he can to get all our kids to buy the lies that he's selling. Lies, like they have to be like the world to be cool and accepted. Lies, like they have to fit into the world or they won't be successful. Lies, like people owe them something. Lies, like they must live and accept the lies that is, is being propagated about homosexuality and transgenderism and fornication being okay. Lies, like we are weird and we're bigots if we don't. Our kids need truth poured into them, and they need it poured into them daily, not just on Sundays. I recently read Deuteronomy 6, and I urge you, that charge is just as applicable today as it was then. Well, here's a sad reality. Many adults, and I hope it's not in this room, but I think it probably is, many adults aren't in tune or aren't aware and therefore not fighting the right battle to even know how to equip the next generation. We better get serious fast, church. We better start employing these spiritual resources that God has given to us or we're going to see this next generation swept away. When our kids graduate from church, they should never, they graduate from school, they should never graduate from church because they're a part of the church. It's not just an event they go to. Something needs to change. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the encouragement, the strength, the challenge that you give us in your word. Thank you for this example and this sobering message today. Lord, we, we are definitely in a battle. And, and it feels like now, Lord, as I prayed this last week, it feels like that we're playing from behind, really far behind now. Because for far too long, we've, we've been intoxicated with this world. For far too long, we've been so infatuated with so many things that this world offers that you and, and your, your body, your, your family, your church, your mission gets the scraps and gets the leftovers. And now we're paying the price. Now we're seeing this next generation care less than they did before.
now we're, we're, we're struggling to, to keep people engaged and, and keep our young people engaged. And, and, and the battle is, seems hopeless in some areas. And I pray that we as your people would get serious. We would get sober about what the battle is and what resources are at our disposal and how we should be fighting it. That we should be in this together. We should all be together with the same mind, with the same spirit, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Lord, help us to do that. Lord, help us to fight the battle the right way. Lord, if there's somebody here today that's not saved, that they're lost, they're searching, they don't, they're not positive, heaven's their eternal home, I pray, God, they would not leave today with that being the case still. I pray they would understand that you love them and you sent your son to die in their place so that they wouldn't have to pay for their sins. You paid for their sins on that cross. That Jesus not only paid for our sins, but he rose again the third day, and it's through him and him alone we can have salvation. And I pray if somebody's never entrusted their life to you, that they would do that today. Lord, help us respond rightly now, and we'll praise you for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll stand as he sings.